Welcome to Dear Dual Perspective. I'm Dr. Emma Eaton. I'm a registered clinical psychologist. And I'm Dr. Sarah McFinnells, a policy researcher. So we'll answer your questions from the micro perspective of individual relationship dynamics based on Emma's clinical training and the macro perspective of social trends based on Sarah's policy background. You can submit your anonymous questions through the link in the podcast description, and we'll answer one question in each upcoming episode. Okay, welcome everyone. This is our fourth episode, and I'm really excited about this question. We have a lot to dig into with this, what this listener provided. So their question is, Saturdays, I've grown to hate them. I look forward to the weekend, and then Saturday morning, I'm a complete grouch with my kids. Background. I work almost full-time, 34 hours a week, in a middle management position. I have two kids, five and two. I'm the primary parent. I have a helpful spouse. I have a house cleaner. I'm generally pretty good at self-care. Sundays, I don't act like a jerk. I don't get Sunday anxiety like some people do. Three weeks ago, I started going for a hike Saturday morning solo, and that helps me stay regulated a bit better. But generally, Saturdays are killing me. It really started in the past four months or so. What is happening? Do other parents hate Saturday? Well... My friend, dear listener, join the club in having a five-year-old and a two-year-old. As much as these are really fun ages, they're also very intense. Mm-hmm. And kids at the, that age can be a lot, mm-hmm. especially when you have them in an unstructured environment for the whole day, which you do on Saturdays. Um, my first instinct is that this person, and interestingly, they don't actually say, but I'm getting very strong mom vibes, is doing a lot and is burned out. Uh, and that is showing up in their like struggles with Saturdays. Emma, what do you think? So there were so many things with this question that I wanted to dig into. The I think the problem with being a psychologist is I read the question. I'm like, I have so many questions about this question. <laughs> yeah, that's true, right? Um, you want to follow up with the person, which you would get to if you weren't doing it in this format. And I mean, I think one thing that I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but just like if this person is a woman, which I think we've just sort of made the assumption that they are so sorry person if you're not, uh, if you don't identify as a woman, we're, we're going to pretend like you do anyway. Um, and so I, they, all, they said they work almost full time. 34 hours a week is like, yes, that's basically full time um, in a middle management position. So people need them to answer their questions and do a bunch of their stuff all week. (laughs) And then on Saturday, they wake up and people need them immediately. Like a five and a two year old are not making their own breakfast, like generally moving like slowly into the day. Like I would prefer to when I wake up on a Saturday, it is like eyes open game time. Um, And so, I mean, I think that that it's not actually really a break. It's like a, a similar kind of like emotional and probably physical labor um, straight off the hop uh, Saturday morning. And that's really difficult. It's it's actually like, if you're looking forward to the weekend, um, if I think about how my weekends look before I had kids and how they looked after I have kids, there's like a lot more work that's similar in a lot of ways to a metal manager position. <laughs> um, because what metal management does predominantly is like support people to do their jobs yeah. and <laughs> um, schedule a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Be responsible, be the last stop for a lot of things. And so what they're doing on Saturday morning is like pretty similar. So putting that aside, but maybe for consideration for the, the person who submitted that question, like how are these things similar and how can you build in that kind of like compassion for yourself if that's the case for you? Um, I think also there's a lot 
being said now on like parent mental health and in particular mom's mental health. Um, and so we talk a lot about like perinatal, like mental health things, just, you know, during pregnancy, after babies are born, that kind of thing. So people talk a lot more openly now about like postpartum depression, those kind of things. And um, that's great. I'm so happy that that is getting a lot more attention. This person has kids who are two and five. And so I think there's probably a lot of expectation on parents at that point that they should be over mental health stuff. Um, but there's also what I feel is a myth about mental health stuff that it's like, totally hormonally or biologically driven um, and it's not a lot of it's situational and so I think what we're going to get into both Sarah and I from like maybe different perspectives um, is that um, if you're not being supported if your needs aren't being met in a way that uh, is like fulfilling enough good enough right we're always just trying to find like a good enough balance in our lives things don't have to be like exceptional um then of course you're gonna have feelings about that and so when it comes to just like the mental load of so are you waking up and like you've got to plan everything or you know and like your two-year-old is not gonna wake up like sunny side up Probably. So you're dealing with like this tiny rage monster that's really, really angry that you're trying to get them to eat something. Mm-hmm, At least mm-hmm. that's often my experience. So like that, that like it's, it's not, I mean, the cortisol levels, I'm guessing, are probably through the roof like by 7.30 a.m. hard start to the day. And if you're not naturally a morning person, that's, I mean, like I think there's been lots and lots and lots written about parents in particular, moms in particular, particular, staying up way after their kid's bedtime, not because they think it's going to be great for them the next day, but because it's the only time they have available to themselves um, to be their own person. And so um, I know I am often waking up overtired, even though I know the value of sleep. I'm a psychologist. I have like a whole degree in this stuff, but I still am not getting adequate sleep because I really want that time or I need it to fold two and a half hours of laundry. Do you have stuff to say about is, laundry, Sarah? I, I, have, like I have things to say about laundry. Do we want to get into laundry now? Because I'm going to go on a big rant about laundry. I feel like the time for ranting is now. Okay. Yeah. So I got this question and because I'm a total nerd, I went into the literature. And so like for this more macro social systems perspective, I want to get into what this listener said about being the primary parent and having a helpful spouse. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did some reading this week that included a really interesting feminist philosophy paper by Andrea Veltman called The Sisyphean Torture of Housework, Simone de Beauvoir and Inequitable Divisions of Domestic Work in Marriage. Mm. May not sound like it, actually a riveting read. I will put the whole citation in the podcast show notes. And this was published in 2004. So it's a bit old, but it's theoretical and it still applies. So basically what this paper is getting at is that uh, there's an essential feature of oppression And that's that it divides people into two categories. And a quote from the paper, those who achieve transcendence through constructive activities and those relegated to the sphere of imminence. So stay with me through a little bit of theory. It's worth it. So transcendent activities are things that produce something lasting. They allow for self-expression, are transformative in some way, um, or they're meaningfully constructive. And then imminence, on the other hand, produces nothing lasting, but it maintains the status quo and it's like necessary for your life. Um, So a key characteristic is the futility of these activities. So my favorite example is laundry. (laughs) You have to do it. You are constantly doing it because people are always re-dirtying clothes constantly, especially small children. 
Um, my five-year-old is a total fashion kind of diva type who loves fashion shows and dressing up, and it means that she is like a, the ultimate creator of laundry. Mm-hmm. I've um, seen her go through four outfits in an afternoon. Yeah, this is Fabulous. quite common, and we try to get her to not put them in the laundry if they're part of a fashion show, but inevitably we end up with a ton of laundry. Um, so it's a task that you're never actually done. And it consumes a lot of time and it consumes a ton of labor, um, but it accomplishes nothing, but it's totally essential. So these are those like imminence tasks and they're not fulfilling in the slightest. Did you feel fulfilled after folding your two and a half hours worth of laundry, Emma? Well, I did it while watching a substantial amount of Netflix. So I did, I did enjoy the Netflix. But this is a trick that we play on ourselves, right? Like I did the same thing. I folded a bunch of laundry while listening to my favorite podcast and uh, that's, if books could kill for any listeners out there who need anyone. Uh, but that's like cheating. <laughs> You're like doing the task that's not fulfilling by trying to like sneak in some, some fulfilling time for yourself. Anyway, so where this dichotomy of transcendence and imminence becomes oppressive is where one is achieving transcendence on the back of another by leaving the life maintenance, these imminent activities to one person and that freeing up more time for the other person to achieve transcendence. That's a core feature in these unequal marriages. So Beauvoir, unlike some feminist philosophers, doesn't believe that marriage is inherently oppressive. If both parties can take part in both imminence and transcendence, uh, then it's not. Um, The oppression of marriage is that it, quote, it affords men greater opportunities for transcendence by relegating women to activities of imminence in the home. And uh, this gives men basically greater opportunity for self-fulfillment and leisure time by sapping the productive energies of wives and curtailing their own opportunities for constructive and self-expressive activities. Mm, That's a lot of big words. That's a lot of big words. But basically, important difference are the things that you are required to do with your time fulfilling you in some sort of bigger purpose sort of way, or are you stuck in the futile cycle of just sustaining life, doing things you have to do. So later on in this paper, Veltman specifically gets into this idea of a helpful spouse, uh, where wives are primarily responsible for like the core household work, which often isn't highly valued, and in this household manager type of role and husbands help with these tasks and may have primary responsibility for some household spheres like the yard or maybe the garage. Um, And why isn't this good enough? You might say like, well, that sounds okay. Um, Because helping husbands are often doing the spheres of household responsibility that require occasional work. Like you need to change the oil in your car once a year, every six months, depending on how much you drive Um, or work that can be scheduled for when you want to do it or you have time. And then wives are still primarily responsible for these like rigidly scheduled, more monotonous household tasks. And I can speak from personal experience that if my children are not eating food by 6 p.m., all hell breaks loose in my home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think I'm alone in that. Um, so this is like the work of creating a dinner that they can eat isn't the type of thing you can postpone until you feel like doing it. Like it, there, is, uh, there is a deadline upon which this task must be completed or else it's a problem. Yeah, man. Laundry is the same. Kids need socks. Kids need socks. Kids Why need do they socks. never have socks? They, I, well, they're tiny. The, the tiny the socks are tiny and they got lost and then also like they're very dirt like they just love kicking dirt I, there's a lot there's, there's a, a lot, lot of reasons that kids are constantly covered in dirt and food and it's um, washing them is in an imminent activity as well mm-hmm. it's futile <laughs> to washing keep washing the children, the children. <laughs> um, so you need to constantly wash them all the time um, anyway so these types of unrewarding difficult to postpone tasks are the things that wives end up doing. Um, and like these helpful husbands often end up skimming the like more fun or rewarding types of household tasks, like maybe yard work where you like feel really good when it's done because it's so productive and you can see this big difference or like taking the kids for an outing, which mom might've planned, but dad took them. 
car repairs, that kind of stuff. So even though women have moved into the workforce and they're working full-time or they're working close to full-time like this listener is doing, um, men's participation in household labor hasn't proportionally increased. And this has been the result of like intentional resistance to changing these gender inequities. Like this stuff is hard. It's really hard to change. And it's really rooted in socialization. What you see happening in your home when you grow up, maybe if you had a parent that didn't work, and was responsible for more of the household tasks, that is your model of how things should work, even though now your spouse works. Like this is a thing that is really difficult and takes a lot of concerted effort and energy to change. I also, I mean, I know you can't see us. Every time Sarah says helpful husband, she's making those air quotes with her fingers. And it's because someone is primarily responsible for these tasks and someone is not. And a lot of times these things just kind of go unsaid in Mm -hmm. relationships. But the person who's re- like responsible, and again, I'm making these air quotes, um, is the person who's going to feel like they're not doing enough, they're not doing good enough, whose who's mental health and self-esteem will get affected if these things aren't done well enough. So like, you know, a lot of times women are ones who feel pressure to you know, think about, okay, uh, are we, are the kids having enough of each food group? Are, is our house clean enough? Is this, and the ones who feel like the most of the weight of judgment, mm-hmm. whether or not it's the case, right? Like I read this really fun thing about <laughs> sort of crappy dinners where a lot of moms are now intentionally being like, yes, I will have you and your children over for dinner. No, I will not clean my house. Like we're going to plan it an hour before and this is just how it's happening so that we see each other so that we get this level of connection. Um, And again, adult connection is another kind of thing that mm, could be missing from this person's life, um, especially if they're in management and a lot of the times they're interacting with people who report to them, right? Mm -hmm. That's not a it, of course, there's a power indifference. And yeah. if they're really thinking about that, they're not laying all their problems and connecting yeah. authentically with you, a lot of those folks. You can't folks. be friends with those folks. It gets weird. It's Well, it's harder. It's a lot yeah. harder to navigate, right? And so I think there's a lot of those things um, that we have to think about when we think about who's the helpful parent and who's the responsible parent. I mean, this person identifies like they're the primary parent. And I kind of wonder also whether that was a conversation or whether that just happened. Mm, I suspect um, it just happened. And yeah. this is probably language they found somewhere and were like, yes, that describes my that experience. Describes me. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, obviously can't speak for them, but like, how do we have those conversations, mm-hmm. right? With the other parent? Because I think especially because of these sort of unsaid scripts about like what a good dad is, what a good mom is. Um, and, and everyone, like like you said, sir, right? It used to be that like one spouse went to work, the other spouse stayed home. The 40 hour work weeks basically based on the idea that one person is at home all yeah. the time. And working at home, let's be clear. Yeah, Staying like, at home is still working. You're doing a different kind of work. Exactly, they're at home doing all that work, right? The kids are at school and they have the whole day to like mm-hmm. do all the household management, which now is like just another job. It's that whole mm-hmm. second shift thing, right? And so I think that like the other spouse can become really defensive Mm -hmm. if you're kind of like, hey, man, I went out for my hike for this morning and I got back and like you didn't do one dish. The kitchen looks like a like a tornado hit it, you know, and they're like, but I did my job. My job is to like take care of the kids while you're out doing your self care. Mm -hmm. And there you go immediately a fight, right? They become defensive because they feel they're fitting into the good dad Mm -hmm. mold or the good parent mold. And you're like, man, I, 
this doesn't really, it's not going to make me do self-care if the whole time I'm thinking about how I'm going to have to do twice as much work when I get back. Which is sometimes part of that weaponized incompetence thing occasionally of like, or, oh, well, you're just so much better at it. It's Mm -hmm. so much easier for you. It's like, is it easier for your partner or have they just like buckled down and figured out how to make it work because you don't? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's a, that's a really hard conversation to have. I mean, it might be easier because they've done it more often. Like, of course, oh, when you practice skill. something, you like, yeah. but it's, it doesn't mean that. Yeah. And, and so I guess one thing that I thought might be really helpful is just a little mini script on how to start that conversation. I think that would be great. Um, and so when you depersonalize conversations like this and make it more about the situation, it helps to take the defensiveness out. So like... If you get home and say, oh man, when I come home and the dishes aren't done, I feel really overwhelmed. Like, how could we work together to solve this so that I'm not anticipating this sense of overwhelm when I come home? So there's a little mini tweak in there where it's not like when I come home and you haven't done the dishes. It's just like, oh, I'm noticing the dishes aren't done. Let's talk about how we can divide up this labor. And I think you also had maybe a tool for that. Yeah, so there's a framework um, from Eve Rodsky, uh, who wrote a book called Fair Play. And kind of the key point is that in order to share equitably, you need to move away from this idea of like, oh, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, or I'll help if you let me know what needs to be done, and move to one where both partners are responsible for a relatively equal number of tasks where they are in charge of the conception, which is like noting that the thing has to happen, or noticing that something needs to be done, planning how that thing will actually take place, and then execution where you do the thing. So this isn't a situation of like, I'm going to sign the kids up for music lessons and make sure that the music teacher gets paid on time. Someone else takes them and therefore they're responsible for music lessons. No, if they're responsible for music lessons, they have to figure out where the classes are and what days work in the rest of the family schedule. They have to make sure that they get paid. They need to plan how the kids are going to get there and they need to take them if they're taking over all parts of that task, right? I think that is the way that you get away from this. I'm just going to help you, but you're still primarily responsible for, you're the project manager of the home. (laughs) Um, And in most cases, the project manager isn't also trying to build the building. The project manager is just project managing when that's a job title, right? So Mm -hmm. there's this mismatch in this idea of, oh, the household project manager is still also primarily responsible for doing the things. That shouldn't be how it is. Um, So... Eve Rodsky has a deck of cards that she's made that can be used as an exercise where partners each take the cards they're currently responsible for in terms of all of those fears and then kind of work through and divide them up in a way that works for them. Um, Another one that I've seen is making sure that both partners have equal access to sleep and to leisure time. Mm-hmm. And that's sometimes an easier way to do it, particularly if you have like very diverging schedules or schedules that shift a lot. That might be an easier way to split it up. One thing I like about that deck of cards is it also has a unicorn card in it, I think it's called. And that card is like, it's it's your what, what things that you're going to do that do help feed you, that do mm-hmm. help with that transcendence piece. And so you're each always supposed to have a unicorn card. There's no situation where you don't have a unicorn card. Um, and it's it's something that you can do together. But I, I do want to note that um, it might unfortunately fall to the person who sent this question and that mm-hmm. type of person yeah. um, to buy the cards, talk about the cards, yeah. suggest that it might be a good time to set aside time to do the cards. Hey, you would like to do less work? Now you have more work to do in terms of planning the conversation about how you get out of doing work. It's yeah, kind of a crappy thing, but that is true, I think. It's like, one of those things where it's not your fault, but it's pr- in order to get out of this, it's, it's probably your responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard, but... 
some of that's the invisibility of the labor in the household, right? Like mm. when the kitchen's just always clean, you just kind of take it for granted. It's like having really good IT support at work. Mm. Your stuff just works. Yeah. It's great. You don't even really notice it. When things start to go wrong is when you're like, why do I have no internet? Why is my computer not updating the way it's supposed to? Like what's happening? Oh, we cut the budget for IT. That's when you notice, right? It, whereas it, like people don't really notice that these things that just kind of happen seamlessly aren't happening until they stop happening. Mm-hmm. That's why listener who wrote this question you need to go on a two-week vacation right away (laughs) so that they can see all the stuff that it's going to show all the stuff that you're doing Mm -hmm. immediately it will also probably help you feel less burned out you could do some like fulfilling transcendent activities it sounds like hiking is transcendent for you please keep doing that that's really important Mm -hmm. keep that Mm -hmm. as a priority um i also think kind of a practical takeaway from this is that like this person says that they're pretty good at self-care But I would argue that sometimes self-care isn't just like taking a bubble bath or going for your hike. It's also Mm -hmm. like having the crappy conversation with your spouse that will hopefully help things get better. Yeah, I I actually want to say like if you could make a pie chart in your mind of what self-care is, actually like 75% of that pie chart is like unfun stuff like doing your taxes and making sure your prescriptions get refilled and like all of these things that keep you generally healthy like actually the bubble bath is like a tiny tiny almost invisible sliver with like a line leading to it because you can't even write in it (laughs) i i love like that people do these things that's fine but actually if you're doing a bubble bath or like just doing a hike once a week actually you're going to be unwell a lot of the rest of the time because you're not doing the foundations of self-care and i'm sorry to have to tell you that because it's a depressing revelation for everyone it it occurs to me also in this framework of transcendence versus imminence that a lot of self-care is imminent work that just sustains Mm -hmm. your life Mm -hmm. it's not fulfilling going to shoppers to get your prescription refill not fulfilling but you need to do it no that's an interesting way to look at this actually i think you also had some stuff about needs that you wanted to talk about Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, it's just a kind of a different framing of, um, of, of this whole thing. Um, but Maslow's hierarchy of needs has five levels. And the top levels that have to do with self-esteem and self-actualization um, are a lot of times things that I think when you, when you think about your own self-talk about it, I think a lot of times they feel like extras and it feels like I'm asking for a lot. I've been out two nights this week. That's definitely something that runs through my own head. I'm asking for a lot here. I already went out once this week. Like the kids are upset. I I actually, two weeks ago, I did go out two nights in a row um, to do stuff with my friends, like nice things that I think I deserve as an adult human. Um, and my kids were, my kids gave me crap for it as well. Um, the people who took care of my kids were lovely, but my kids were, you know, and I, I had a lot of mom mm. guilt about it. It's a shift for the kids too, right? Like yeah. this is a change from. And it's not called Maslow's hierarchies of like needs, pretty good stuff and nice to haves, right? Yeah. It's called Maslow's hierarchy of needs because they're all things that we need. Um, to be like whole healthy humans. And so when you get a chance to Google Maslow's hierarchy of needs and you see that the top part is stuff that like helps you feel good about yourself and helps you grow as a person. Um, and you put, you know, like, I don't know where this person would put hiking 
in there, whether it's a self-esteem thing or whether they have a spiritual connection that they get from hiking. Um, and it could fit into a lot of different Physiological, areas. it's exercise. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's still a need. It's not a bump on nice to have. And so I think in order to remember that we all are whole people who have a variety of needs, um, and that's going to help your mental health and help with this Saturday thing. I think the one other thing that another mom said to me once, and I know this is off some other podcast that she told me about, but I can't remember which one it was, is that this is also a season of your life, right? And it's not going to be that your two-year-old screams at you every morning forever. Um, it's it's not like I'm saying, don't like enjoy this time. No, don't. However, it's not a forever thing. And I think remembering that whatever situation you're in is in, it's not permanent, impermanence. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's a word. Yeah. Um, Two-year-olds, they get to be three. Yeah. It's a good thing. <laughs> exactly. And like there, yeah, there's fun, th there's magical, amazing, fun things about two-year-olds. And like being woken up by screaming every Saturday morning at 6.45 is not magical, in my opinion. Um, and so... It's, it's a season and I think that can be really helpful to remember as well as like it's going to change and you're going to get a new lovable amazing kid mm -hmm. next year who has yeah. some other challenges and other strengths and so this isn't a forever thing. Um, it doesn't mean it's not hard right now though. Yeah. I agree. I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for the latest episode of Dear Dual Perspective. We would love to hear from you. You can submit your anonymous question for a future episode via the link in the podcast description. Music for this episode was provided by Coma Media from Pixabay. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Dear Dual Perspective and tune in for the next episode in two weeks. Thanks for listening.